When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. The Browns getting started a little early this week, of course, because they play on Saturday against the Ravens. Just a walkthrough today, so we were virtual. We had a bunch of guys on Zoom, but let's get to, uh, I guess, the biggest news of the day. And Mary Kay, that is Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Uh, he was placed on injured reserve. His season is over, barring... A miracle by the Browns making the playoffs. But even then, uh, Kevin would not rule out the possibility of surgery. It didn't look great watching him walk around the locker room on Sunday. Um, so I, I guess this is sort of, I don't know. I don't know how to view year two of Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. He started really slow. I thought there were flashes here over the past few weeks, but ultimately we just didn't quite see the player that we thought we'd see after his rookie year. No, and you know what I think is going on with some of uh, some of the players and some of what happened this year. I I think that the Browns are going to take a long, hard look at the whole defensive process. And because so many of the players really didn't necessarily live up to their potential, I have to wonder if they're not going to, again, take a really long, hard look at Joe Woods and see if he's putting everyone in position to maximize their skills and abilities. I mean, when you've got a bunch of guys not playing up there, up to their potential, uh, you know, you start to look at uh, the coaches, the defensive coordinator, and, and you start to ask, okay, are these guys, you know, being coached? Uh, the way that everyone wants them to be? Are they in the right schemes for the right situations? And sometimes we hear things about uh, that, that, you know, that perhaps maybe the players don't necessarily think they're always in the right situation for what is going on on the field. Even today, uh, to a certain extent, when we talked to Greg Newsom, uh, when he mentioned that they could have done some different things on Jamar Chase, I think some of us did wonder, should they have doubled him more? Should they have tried Martin Emerson on him? Um, so I, you know, I think the jury is still out on a lot of these younger guys, the Newsoms, the JOKs, the Grant Delpits, the Jordan Elliott's, the Jacob Phillips, uh, because, um, you know, I just don't know if we know for sure if the Browns feel all that great about how it all went down this year. Yeah, Ashley, I think with all that being said, it just sort of speaks to kind of what a lost season this was on, on so many levels. And certainly for Jeremiah, uh, that this kind of becomes a, a lost season for him now. And, it, you know, he'll have to come back and, and figure some things out, just like the Browns have to figure some things out as, as far as how he fits and, and how he's being used. Yeah, and I know, I mean, I've thought this for a while. I think Mary Kay agrees with me as well, because I know she's brought this up. I think with Jeremiah, too, I mean, he dealt with a lot this year. Like, number one, he had multiple injuries. It wasn't just this latest foot one, right? Like, he had the groin injury that he suffered against, I think, the the Steelers game, the, the Thursday night game. 
Um, and he also had the knee injury that kept him out for a, a little bit of time. Like he was kind of injury plagued again. He had a lot of injuries as a rookie. Um, and then, of course, in the offseason, he dealt with the, the horrible tragedy of his brother being murdered. And I know from doing that big takeout on him last year that they were very close. So, I, you know, I've long felt, you know, Jeremiah hasn't really been wanting to, to talk about that with us, which is understandable. But I think he just dealt with a lot this year physically, emotionally off the field. Um, that I think probably played a part in all of this. And then like Mary Kay said, on top of that, these these scheme questions on how they're using these guys and utilizing them. And are they putting players in position to be successful based on their skills? I think there's a reason. Jeremiah's best game this year to me, I thought, was that first Ravens game. And I think he is the prime example of a guy who fits really well in that matchup because of his sideline to sideline ability and what he's able to do. Um, so I do think it's a shame we're not going to get to see him again against Baltimore because I think that's kind of when you saw the best of him come out this year. Yeah, and Mary Kay, this kind of raises a, another question too with Jeremiah, just just to keep an eye on. He has had some health issues, you know, staying on the field, and obviously he's not the biggest guy playing a position that is normally played by bigger players. Is it, is there any concern there, any durability concern with him, or, or do you think he'll be fine from that standpoint? You know, I, I think he should be fine from that standpoint. What we don't know about this current foot injury, if it is something that needs a surgery or not. Uh, we, we don't know the extent of it. We don't know the nature of it. Uh, certainly, since it's happening at the end of this season, he should be totally fine for next season. But he has had some nagging injuries. And remember last year, he had like a lot of, you know, sort of fluky little things that happened to him along the way. Um, so, you know, staying on the field is definitely something uh, that is very highly valued. And, and he's going to have to uh, do whatever he possibly can to make sure that he's as durable as he can be whether that's, you know, putting a little bit of weight on or whether it's, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, I do think that it would behoove him, uh, you know, just to try to make sure that he is as rugged and durable as he can possibly be. And, um, you know, Ashley's, you know, so right about this. This was a really, really horrible year for him from an emotional standpoint and something that he isn't ready to talk about yet. Um but, you know, that was a horrible tragedy in the offseason. And, and I do think that it, it impacted him in obvious ways that we will never, never maybe know the full extent of. My goodness, that was just absolutely horrible. So, um, you know, now it's an opportunity for him to sort of hit the reset button a little bit, heal up in every way, and, you know, spend his offseason – just getting ready to come back, you know, really, really strong and and start all over. Okay, uh, another topic this week um, is the Ravens and their quarterback situation. We have no idea who is going to play quarterback for this team. And Ashley, I know you're you're writing about this. It could be Tyler Huntley. It could be Anthony Brown. Maybe it could be Lamar Jackson. <laughs> it doesn't seem likely, but who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I guess. Get, Update us here on, on this Ravens quarterback situation and, and how it impacts the Browns, who they face. 
Yeah, so um, obviously Lamar Jackson has been dealing with a knee injury, and I know a report surfaced over the weekend that he might not be able to play until Christmas Eve. So like you said, Dan, it's probably likely that they are not going to see him on Saturday. Um, It seems to me right now like the most likely candidate they're going to see is Tyler Huntley, who, of course, they saw last year because Lamar Jackson actually suffered that season-ending injury he had against the Browns uh, in December in their second matchup. And the Browns did get a chance to see him play last year and how well he run. I know guys said, you know, he runs more than Lamar, that the defensive guys last year, I think, kind of joked. Like, by the third quarter of that game, they were like, can we get Lamar back out here? Because that that guy was tiring them out. Um, and, of course, he started for them against the Steelers this past week, but he exited in the third quarter of that when he took a really hard hit um, and did not come back in that game. He was evaluated for a concussion. But today in practice, he's on their injury report as limited. He was out there for, you know, we saw clips going around from uh, the Baltimore beat reporters on Twitter of him out there during the open portion of practice for them. So uh, I do think it's most likely that he's going to be out there. But if not, they would see Anthony Brown, who I know, Dan, you talked to JJ3 after the game, a guy who who few people don't know about. But JJ3 certainly has a leg up because they were college teammates uh, over at Boston there before he transferred to Oregon, was it? Anthony Brown? Yeah, it was Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the one who, of course, beat Ohio State last year, of course. So fans, uh, Browns fans, crossover Browns, Ohio State fans, uh, maybe familiar at least with his name because of that. But not a lot of film to watch on him because it was really just the last like quarter and a half against the Steelers there. And they were able to hold on and, and win that one 16 to 14 this past weekend. So Mary Kay, anytime you don't get to face Lamar, obviously that's a huge break. Um, but, you know, Tyler Huntley is a guy that he's played, like Ashley said, the Browns know him well. They won against him last year. Um, you know, the Ravens don't score a ton of points when he's their quarterback, but he's still a, a dangerous guy, especially if they if he finds some running lanes. Yeah, and, and the, you know, the corollary to that is the fact that J.K. Dobbins came back last week against the Steelers and rushed for 120 yards and a touchdown. And Gus Edwards tacked on another 66 yards. So the Browns could possibly be going, I mean, the Browns will be going against a rejuvenated running team, not just from the running back position, but from the quarterback position, as we're mentioning here, uh, without now their fourth linebacker who is out for the entire season. So you know what the game plan is going to be. They're going to come into First Energy Stadium and they're going to try to cram it down the Browns' throats uh, because they are so challenged now at the linebacker spot. So they're going to have to have Deion Jones step up and Jordan Kunasik step up and Tony Fields step up and Reggie Ragland and whoever else they can drag in off the street to play linebacker for them. So um so, yeah, it's going to be a, a lot of running and a lot of run fits that are going to have to happen. And they're going to do everything that they possibly can to, um, you know, to mix it up and mess up the Browns so that they cannot uh, stop this rushing attack. That's what is on order on Saturday. Okay, one more thing I, I want to get to here before uh, we hand things over to Lance to kind of look back at that Bengals game. And that is Jack Conklin. He wins the team's. Uh, Ed Block Courage Award is voted on by his teammates, uh, so he takes home that honor after coming back from a torn patellar tendon uh, much quicker than I think a lot of people anticipated. He was back by week three. 
So, of course, the question with Jack, who said today that Cleveland is always going to be his home. Uh, he certainly has found a place he, he likes here. Uh, this is where they're, they're raising their kids. Um, they're in school, all, all of that stuff. Um, he, he's got some very young kids, uh, a few of them born here in Cleveland, actually. So, Mary Kay, Jack is going to be home here. Is he going to be playing for the Browns when he's home here? Obviously, his contract is up after this season. How likely is it that Jack is back uh, next season for this team? Well, you know, Jack is a beloved player on this team. The front office loves him. The coaches love him. I mean, he's an all-pro player. And, you know, even 80% of Jack is better than most right tackles in the NFL. So I would think that they would do everything they can to try to get Jack wrapped back up again for next season. It's hard to find really good tackles in the NFL. And so I would think that they, uh, that they would do whatever they can uh, to try to get Jack back under contract. Even if you think that James Hudson is you know, ready to step into that role, uh, you can't have too many good players at that position. And who knows if, if James is 100% really ready to go. You know, I think the way that Jack came back and just gave his heart and soul to this team and, again, earned this Ed Block Courage Award, I think it just speaks so well to him and and how this whole organization feels about him. Uh, again, it, it always, you know, it comes down to money. But, but to hear him say that, you know, that this is what, where he wants to be, this is going to be his home forever, I think it just sort of sets up pretty well to try to bring him back and, and get another good year out of him. Yeah, Ashley, for me, one of the lessons of this season, I think, is it's nice to kind of look at young guys and say, let's give them an opportunity. But maybe sometimes, especially if you're trying to win, that's not always the absolute best course of action. I I think there's probably still an opportunity to give James Hudson a chance, but also bring back Jack Conklin. I think there's room for both things. And if if Jack's the best guy, you got to have him. Yeah, and I think like firsthand kind of we are seeing what happens when you maybe are, are willing to part ways with those guys for, for monetary reasons or elsewhere. Like, I mean, J.C. Treader would be a great guy to have on this team right now, right? Like they took a chance there and it hasn't really paid off because of all the injuries at center. And look where they're at now where you have to have Yelda Froholt step in because that's how your roster is constructed. Um, I do think, you know, I would like to see him back here this year because it's it's hard to find those guys and to get them to come here. It might be a little easier now that Deshaun Watson is a quarterback. There might be more guys who are willing to to come to Cleveland. But I think we know how that it's not really a top free agent destination usually to have to come here. A lot of guys prefer to go to the flashier places with the warm weather. So um, the fact that Jack Conklin wants to be here, and I think more importantly, like the fact that the core of this offensive line has now been together a few years is really big. And I think that that part of it is key for why we think of them as one of the better offensive lines, even if their grades lately um, have not been so good as they've gotten kind of progressively beat up with injuries, which I think has been another a main factor this year and last year. I mean, you saw what happened when Jack Conklin wasn't out there for most of the season last year, and I think it was really noticeable. Yeah, Mary Kay, I think that's I think a point Ashley makes there is important. You don't get opportunities to keep offensive lines together for very long. And so if they have an opportunity to keep some semblance of this line together, you know, depend and who knows who's gonna end up at center, whether it's Nick Harris getting another shot or Ethan Pochich. Um it is valuable to have guys who know each other and who have been together. Yeah, I think so. And then the other the other thing to consider about that too is they are going to want to make sure 
that Deshaun Watson is as protected as possible, right? I mean, they need to make sure, and he he does take sacks in part because, you know, he runs around and, and does some different kinds of things. Um, but certainly they need to make sure that that he is in as great a shape as possible going forward and that he hits the ground, uh, you know, running next year and is really ready to, you know, play some great football. And that includes good protection. So I, I would think that that they will be, you know, really looking at trying to bring Jack back and making sure that, you know, that, that Deshaun is in great shape. Okay, there we go. Uh, first part here of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Wednesday for you. Uh, Lance Reisland is going to come up on the other side. He'll tell you all about what he saw in that game against the Bengals on Sunday. Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to you both later. And now we welcome on, as we do every Tuesday, Lance Reisland to look back at the Browns' latest game, this time a loss to the Bengals. Lance, how are you? Hey, Dan, how are you? I'm doing well. Okay, let's get to it. Um, first, first point you sent to me: uh, same mistakes and decisions being made. You you mentioned penalties. You mentioned mentioned lost possessions. So get into that a little bit. Well, first, it's not only the, are they the same kind of issues, but they're the timing of them are so bad. You know, if you look at the uh, the penalties, so if you look at the roughing the punter, um, just a terrible time, and then you followed it up with a hands to the face. Um, on a clowny sack, and then you had a PI in your best corner. Uh, just kind of the timing of it, it, it killed momentum. Then you had the inability of those guys to um, the turnover on down. So you had the the fourth and one you had to DPJ, which I don't understand. Not so much the um, play call. I'm okay with taking a shot, but why with Brissett and why um, and why at that time? And why do you not have Cooper in the game? And then the other turnover on downs, you had the uh, – you threw a one-step fade to um, DPJ, which I was kind of shocked. I'm not sure why Cooper wasn't in on that one as well. Um, so you had those, those, and then you had the flea flicker. And again, on the flea flicker, you had uh, Delpit, who should be reading through that tackle. Um, you know, when you're a safety, you're reading through that play side tackle. And that play side tackle, they didn't do a really good job, to be honest with you, of, uh, of showing run. They, they, sh- they showed pass, uh, and he came screaming up. So I was kind of shocked, kind of the same things you're getting over and over with those guys. Okay, so you mentioned the fourth and, and one play, and I know that's been a big topic of discussion this week. Um, we've kind of harped on this all year. I know you certainly have the, the players over plays concept. And so I can understand what Kevin is thinking in that situation. Let's put Jacoby on the field, make him think sneak, and then we're going to throw a deep shot. But the other part of this for me is even Deshaun Watson, as rusty as he is, the last guy I want with the football in his hands on a fourth and one or a fourth and two, and we saw it later in the game on a fourth down conversion, I don't want the football in Deshaun Watson's hands if I'm a defense in that situation. And so that felt almost like a you're taking the ball out of a guy that eventually is going to be your best player's hands. Well, yeah, and I think in those in those situations, those those run pass options, the not maybe not a true run pass option, but uh, getting him on the edge in terms of he has the ability to run. Uh, there's so many different things you can do. Again, I don't think you have to overthink it. Even with Sean Watson, I think you can get in a power set, and, and if they can stop Nick Chubb uh, going downhill uh, for one yard, I still think at this point in time, Nick Chubb's your best football player. So you, you I think you should give him a chance. I still don't understand why they, you know, a number of those times they've had him in a three-point stance and, and, and things of that nature. I just think they're overthinking 
those fourth and ones. QB sneak it, uh, get some big guys push, or you know run a power or run downhill. I think they're they're being too uh, you know cute on those situations. Okay, I want to spend a little time on on Deshaun Watson because something you said is uh, that Watson has created an identity crisis for the Browns, and, and I thought that was interesting. First of all, though, before we get to that point, um, I, I just want to ask you, it felt to me like Deshaun Watson did show some real signs of progress, especially in the second half. Did, did you see that at least? Yeah, you're seeing his feet. You're seeing his feet are really active. You're seeing him thinking less. You're seeing him being fast. Uh, you're seeing some of those throws. You're seeing some of that uh, improv that he likes to do, his escapability. Uh, you're seeing all the throws from the pocket. You're seeing him uh, where he, you know, the identity thing comes in where he looks really comfortable in the shotgun. And he looks really comfortable in, in being able to see everything in front of him. And you can kind of see, and that's when I was, you know, as you're watching the game, you're kind of seeing, uh, is it a transition to where the Browns are moving to? And if that's where they're moving to, uh, they have some roster issues moving forward. Yeah, so so is that the identity crisis then, that Deshaun Watson seems more comfortable in the shotgun and the Browns aren't quite built to be that type of team just yet? And also the amount of 11 personnel they use too? Yeah, well, they obviously you're seeing a lot of 11 personnel. I just don't think uh, right now they're a downhill run, downhill team uh, out from underneath center. They do do some shotgun stuff, and everybody uh, I've heard multiple people tell me that you know they've been very good in the shotgun. Well, part of the reason for being good in the shotgun is because you line up underneath center a lot, and it kind of they kind of go hand in hand. So your run game when you're when you're only in the gun, your run game changes a little bit, and it becomes very finesse. Even your in even your zone plays become more finesse. Uh, becomes more about uh, having the right personnel and getting the right formation in the game, uh, getting angles, creating uh, horizontal displacement as, as as opposed to vertical displacement. And right now, the Browns coming into the season, they're a downhill, inside-outside zone team. Uh, they run power, they run counter, but everything is downhill right at you where you're getting true double teams, true gap schemes. Um, and you're getting, you know, the, like I said, those big doubles. And you kind of see that transition away from that. And, you know, I don't know if the linemen are meant for that. They're not real. They're good in space, but they're not horizontal displacers. They're not super. They don't have super feet. Um, I don't think the receiving crew can live up to that, you know, in terms of, like, getting everybody getting six to eight catches. I'm not sure if they have the depth yet. Um, your strength is still your running back uh, room, for sure, depth-wise. So I'm just not sure where that transition is going to happen and um, what the scheme is going to be, uh, especially run game moving forward. Yeah, the, the the line element of this, too, is interesting that you mentioned. Um, you know, Joel, Joel can do everything. Um, Jack Conklin, when he's right, can do everything. But kind of the rest of that line, you know, why is more of a run blocker? Uh, Pochich, I, I don't know if we you know, we, we haven't gotten to see him with Deshaun. So, so we don't know how that looks necessarily, you know, Wills has struggled. That's kind of interesting because coming into this season, that was certainly an area that you looked at and said, that's the strength of this team. And now you're kind of looking at two guys you really trust. If you are going to transition this into more of a pass heavy offense. Well, you know, I watched the, I watched the game a number of times. I'm an article about how they did such a good job against the, uh, the Browns run game. And, Obviously, the Browns are going more horizontal, and you know they did it. Cincinnati did a good job of getting guys in the box, and those safeties were very physical. But when you watch the, you know, you see Conklin, and some of uh, some of the things I see in Conklin are movement issues. That um, will those ever come back? He had a pretty severe knee injury, and those obviously he's a really good player. Um, Jedrick Wills has been very inconsistent out at left tackle. Uh, Teller, you can tell, has had some um, obviously has some injury issues because he's getting. 
um, moved a lot. That and, and one thing he doesn't do is get moved. Um, you can see that uh, you know Yelda Froholt is out of position at center. Uh, teams are really loading up in that a gap, and then Batonio has been really solid. You know he's been the one guy who's been really solid throughout in terms of like not having injury and being consistent. And, um, but yeah, you watch that, and there's not, they're not getting the movement they once did, which is also something that comes from. You know, the way you get really good at running downhill is running downhill. And it's kind of, you know, it's and, and they're not doing that as much as they have they've done they've done in the past. So uh, I'm really interested to see um, what they're going to do with that offensive line, uh, depending on what their identity is going to be moving forward. So you mentioned this, the, the Bengals success stopping the run game. Was it as simple as DJ Reader was back on the field? <laughs> what, what, what were they doing? Well, one thing I really saw was he was really tough. They were all really good, but he's really good with his hands, and he doesn't get moved. And I know we've uh, I've kind of said this a bunch too, is he's my kind of D-tackle. He doesn't make a lot of plays. He's not a great pass rusher, uh, but he's really good at the line of scrimmage. And if you watch the, um, the, the uh, end zone copy, you can see him taking on doubles and not getting moved. You can see him extending even Batonio and not getting moved. Um, the other thing they did really, really well is they got that eighth guy in the box. And when you got Hinton um, – they got Jesse Bates in, the, in there. They got that Cam Taylor Britt. He was very physical. So they got that seventh, eighth defender in the box. And those guys, when they got in the box, they were very violent. They got there with a, a bad intentions when they got in the box. So they were able to get those seventh, eighth defenders in there. And then again, talked about you know going back to what we talked about, the Browns are running horizontal a lot, and they're not going downhill. They had one 13-yard run early in the game with Chubb. Uh, that was the only really good run underneath center downhill they had the entire game. And usually you have five or six of those with the Browns. And that was the one. It was only 13 yards. It was blocked very well. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, that was an eye-opener in terms of how the Cincinnati was able to stop the run. All right, one of the positives that you mentioned was Perry on Winfrey. This is a guy who uh, Chris Kiffin last week said his biggest issue is – I mean, he didn't say this – in, in these terms, but this is what he implied. His biggest issue is he's got to put in a full week, uh, meaning, you know, getting, you know, playing on Sunday wasn't necessarily the problem. It was the stuff leading up to Sunday. Uh, what, what'd you see from Perry on, on, you know, in this game to basically say, like you texted me that he was much improved. Well, that's interesting you say that. Cause I didn't know that. And you can see that he had a full, he's been practicing better because he is uh, first thing he's doing is he's attacking the man in front of him which is what you have to do. So if, they, if they're in that forefront, he's got to attack the guard. That guard will tell you whatever's happening. If it's a double coming from the tackle, if it's a double coming from the center. But if you get on the guard first, you're not going to get moved. And then you can also see him recognizing what they're doing. So teams are pulling the guard. Uh, he's going whatever ways the guard's going instead of just running upfield. So you can see that he's probably watching a lot more film. Uh, you can see he's probably repping those uh, the schemes he's seeing a lot. Uh, you know, they uh, Cincinnati did a pretty good job of running some duo. They were running duo right at the Browns, especially in the second half. He did a really good job of getting into that guard, turning into the double, and not getting moved out of there. You saw some real progress. Um, he's had the most dramatic uh, imp- improvement in there in terms of, like, where he was maybe six, seven, eight weeks ago for sure. Yeah, and he's one of those guys that you really would like to see a strong finish from. Uh, so you can at least feel better about him going into year two. I don't know if he's the answer next year or if you just – you know, he's probably still going to have to earn it a little bit, but it would at least be nice to feel good about him coming out of this season. The thing that's exciting about him for the Browns would be his hands were really heavy. He actually got into the guy. He was he was playing at a very college-type uh, 
defensive line where he's just getting in the gap and going. And there was no reads. There was no – and in the NFL, they just doubled him into the ground. And there's some plays where he's just getting absolutely doubled five, six, seven yards down the field. So you saw real improvement in terms of him doing his job. A lot of his, a lot of times he wasn't even making the play. And that's kind of the deal with those defensive linemen, especially if you're going to be in that forefront – uh, and have small linebackers. You better be able to take those double teams on and keep those double teams there so those small guys behind you can run around and tackle. All right, that is Lance Reisland uh, looking back on the Browns' loss to the Bengals. Lance, thanks for the time. As always, thanks for having me. Okay, we wrap up the podcast today with my NFL playoff committee rankings of one. Of course, this is my college football playoff-style NFL playoff committee. The rules... One team from each division, we seed one through seven and first team out, but they do not have to be seeded by division winner. They can be in any order we want in each conference. In the AFC, it's still Buffalo at number one. They beat a tough Jets team, and now they get a showdown with the Dolphins. Cincinnati at number two, they finally beat the Browns, so they get to stay at number two, but I'll be honest, I kind of regret putting them ahead of Kansas City last week because I want Kansas City to be number two, but no reason to move them up just yet. Kansas City stays at number three. They could be anywhere from one to three on this list. They might not lose again this season. That schedule, very favorable. Miami, I'm going to keep at number four. The choice was either to move them below Baltimore or keep them here. And since this is a projection, in part, the Dolphins are going to stay ahead of the Ravens, who sit at number five. I don't know how they're winning, but they are, at least for now. Uh, they need to they need to beat the Browns on, on Saturday, no matter who is playing quarterback. The L.A. Chargers make the big jump this week up to number six. An impressive, gotta-have-it win, and they might be poised to make a move with a very manageable schedule ahead. Or maybe we're all just falling for the Chargers again. And then Tennessee is number seven. They've lost three in a row, but they still have Houston and Jacksonville on their schedule to try and hang on to this division. The Jets are my first team out. I still like them. They'll have something more to say in these rankings, and they're just waiting for the Chargers to Charger again. In the NFC, it's Philadelphia, number one. They just keep on rolling, followed by a new number two, San Francisco. They're red hot, winners of six in a row, and there could be more on the way. Dallas drops a spot after that weird win over Houston. They lost some style points for that game, but a win's a win. Still waiting for that showdown with Philadelphia here in a couple weeks. Minnesota goes to number four. They lost to the Lions. It won't derail their march to the NFC North crown. But still, does anybody actually believe in this team? Washington comes in at number five. They didn't lose this week. They were on a bye. Welcome to the excitement of NFC football. At number six, it's the New York Giants. We can't really punish them for losing them for losing to the Eagles, especially when the rest of the conference is so brutal. At number seven, Tampa Bay. I don't know. It's still Tampa here because these are the rules. I don't know who else to put in there in the NFC South. It's still wide open. And Detroit, my first team out. Their only loss in the last six games is on the last second field goal to Buffalo. If you don't love this story, you're dead inside. There we go. Our NFL playoff committee of one rankings. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the Orange Brown Talk podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star review uh, as well on Apple Podcasts. And become a Football Insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every day access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com and you can become one of our text subscribers for mary Kay, ashley and lance i'm dan thanks for listening everybody 